Podcast ain't played nobody. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38Godfrey on Instagram and Twitter. I had to remember all my social media obligations there for a second. And by all, I mean more than one, which is terrifying. Today's show is the week four tasting menu. Um, you know, we were going to kind of dunk on Notre Dame as we do. Um, but I really think, and you'll hear in a second, that this whole dumb putting the Notre Dame-Georgia game in primetime and pulling all the SEC off of primetime actually made for a really nice balanced day of college football, so be excited. Um, <clears throat> we we kind of put a little shine on week three because we had to. Uh, no shine needed here. Very excited to to talk to Richard and Bud about not really the big, big games, although they're, they're of some interest, but just a deep deep bench on week four um as always you can find us over at the banner society please check out the read option that's our newsletter where we put exclusive things that you can't get anywhere else in the newsletter bud writes some things richard writes some things i'm working on i'm working on a thing um it's oftentimes the place where you can find banner society content first or again exclusively so please sign up for the read option go to thebannersociety.com you can still go to a footballwebsite.com if you so choose it's a fun joke it's a good meme um i think that's it we don't have anything extraneous to plug gonna do the weekend q a uh got a bunch of lsu fans coming to my house things you do in marriage you're not married you don't understand if you're married no explanation further is necessary. Um, I'm excited about week four. It's good. Feels like college football. Doesn't feel like the debut of college football. It feels like the actual week-to-week goodness of this sport. I feel like we're really getting into it, and we have like this wonderful little month-long process before we get into like coach hiring and firing and then playoff talk and all that crap. So let's enjoy the college football, everybody. Richard Johnson, let's make a tasting menu, shall we? Prefix. Uh, at least there's a game on Thursday. I will, better than better than no games. Sorry, so. I've got to watch a North Florida professional football team self destruct Thursday night. Yeah, against the old Tennessee Titans. That's in Jacksonville, right? That is in Jacksonville. <clears throat> I always like to start the segment of the show talking about the AFC South. Um, Houston is going to Tulane at uh, 7 p.m. God's time zone on the ESPNs. Uh, the only thing I have to say about this game, and we mentioned this in the hurry up, now is the time where you start figuring out what Houston is and how far they're going to have to regress to suddenly become the 10, 12 win monster again. And that may not happen for a, a season or two. Yeah, I, um, I, I hope that this is... <coughs> I hope that this is fun. <laughs> like, I don't really have much more analysis than that. I hope at some point I turn over and it's like 45 to 41 with 10 minutes left. And I think it very much could be as well. Um, this is, uh, I didn't really want to glean anything from like the, the, the new offense under Will Hall against Auburn because, um, and Bud and I are going to celebrate Auburn's defensive line once more in the next segment, but that is the best defensive front in college football. Ooh, so other, I mean, that. other than that, <clears throat> I like what I've seen from Tulane. I thought that week one win was good. Um, Houston has some defensive issues. They've also played Wazoo and Oklahoma, so that'll give you defensive issues. But uh, this is a find out who you is game for sure. And so that's why I'm very interested in watching it. So uh, let's move on to Friday. 
<clears throat> again, not much of a menu to assemble. You can pretty much consume it all. Florida International, who whom I spoke of earlier, goes to Louisiana Tech at 7 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. Air Force, fresh off that win against Colorado, goes to Boise State. That's the big one. 8 p.m. ESPN2. Um, and then, oh, I guess that's not the biggest game of the day. It is for me. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to watch this game over Utah at USC. Why? Am I an idiot? Yes. Am I an on-brand idiot? Always. Uh, Utah goes to USC at 8 p.m. on FS1. Uh, a couple things I like. Uh, I never like Friday night football. I'm okay just having the night off. I wish all of these games were moved to Thursday, to be totally honest with you, Richard. And they could they could go up against Houston and Tulane. Um, if you're in Florida or Georgia or Texas or California or a lot of those other states like Tennessee or Alabama, Mississippi, Ohio, I don't want to be too much of a Sunbelt guy. Um, you, <laughs> we're you know, regionalists on this show. Yeah, it's starting to sound like it. Um, look, there shouldn't be football on Friday, but I will say – there's like a handful of marquee sort of narrative defining games in week four, which is nice because week three had none of that. Um, Utah at USC is one of them. It kind of determines the fate of the Pac-12. Um, I, I mean, mean, at least the it, South, the North. It definitely I mean, determines the South, but then you also have the issue of like, well, you know, Cal beat Washington. We don't know what we don't know if Oregon is like elite, elite or just good. Yeah, we'll get to uh, that. This is a chance, and and Bud's going to break down a lot of this USC. Uh, you know, just what it is that Utah could actually accomplish in this game. Uh, but this is a big game, and it's nice that it's on a Friday night. So the obvious pick is that you watch this game and then flip to the other two if you would like. I just really like the idea of Boise being tested. This is the first in a series of tests against pretty good Mountain West teams, and the quality of that, of that conference has stepped up a little bit. So, yes, we're in a murder smurf scenario. As long as they're undefeated, we're always in a murder smurf scenario. Power um, seven, baby. It could really actually be out of a murder smurf scenario after after Friday. I like look. I, I'm not going to believe the point on USC and Utah, but I will say this: like Clay Helton's having to make sure we all know that Graham Harrell's calling the plays. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, Saturday, guess what? I'm going to be in a press box again. Why do I do this? I'm going to be in a press box at 11 in the morning. Personal growth. Because here's the deal. I was convinced. I was like, look, I will endure this LSU tailgate situation at my house. And then I will go. So okay, like, let's 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 paint a picture here without yeah. triangulating where you live. Give me a range from how far you live from Vandy, like ten to fifteen miles, twenty to twenty-five miles. Like, are you like are you suburban at hard or what's the deal? The, from the stadium? Yeah. I'm typing right now. Great radio. You asked. By the way, when you type in Vanderbilt Stadium into Google Maps. The image that shows up, I think it's either Georgia or Alabama game, and it's just soaked in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you were to drive it from my house right now, it is two point one miles. Oh wow! Okay, so um, I mean, conceivably, people, people you have could asked walk. if you can walk. Um, if you were to walk it, it takes forty minutes, and to walk it in a straight line is actually under two miles. So you could. I've actually done it before. That's like but, the stupid like it like it if any anybody who listens to this podcast that goes to games every weekend knows that you walk on game days exorbitant distances that you yes. would never walk any time else to get from tailgate to tailgate. Yes. Um actually before I have left 
uh, covering Vanderbilt games in the past, and then the uh, the Uber surge has been so nuts. Not the price. I mean, the price is crazy, but also like literally not being able to get an Uber. That I will walk a mile of it up um, a little to, a little bit to the west, if that means anything to you in Nashville, and then catch a an Uber into my actual neighborhood. Um, so yes, I live in a neighborhood that is adjacent to Vanderbilt, and it is walkable. So you're not uh, going to have, have LSU fans on the front porch. I will have seven in the house five five to seven in the house sleeping in the house and then my actual in my mother and father-in-law got uh hotel rooms because all of the accoutrement like the my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law they're bringing the wives boyfriends children and then there's friends of my wife's my wife obviously went to high school in louisiana all of her family is lsu except her sister but then all of her friends from high school are lsu and so some of them aren't staying with us, but there's a Friday night thing at our house. And then probably also, I mean, because it's LSU people will also be a post game Saturday thing at our house. (laughs) So, um, quite a mess, quite a mess. Um, Oh, I'm going to be in a press box because I thought this was going to be like a 6 PM thing. Like I thought like, Oh, you do the thing. And then, um, you know, we'll go and I'll have a cup of coffee, throw her up a little bit. And then, do they now now it's going to be a blazing hot well game. we need like to, we i think we need to talk about why it's like that and it's notre dame notre dame and notre dame and uh and georgia our friends in athens are playing so cbs obviously gets two um two doubleheaders every year they usually use one 3 8 p.m eastern time and one noon 3 30 they're using the 3 8 p.m eastern time on not lsu alabama for the first time in like I don't even know how, like, nine years? I, I, It's been a while since LSU Alabama's played in the day, not at night on CBS. So, obviously, for the ratings, they want to get Notre Dame on CBS because that's just printing money, um, considering it's against Georgia. So, because of that, the rest of the day slate is all out of whack. That's why Florida and Tennessee are playing at noon. Um, LSU and Vanderbilt got picked up by SEC Network. It's, it's, it's helter-skelter. People are pissed. And I mean, justifiably so. Obviously, Vanderbilt has not really shown any functionality whatsoever against there's, there's Purdue three, and Georgia. There, there's three SEC noon Eastern games. Southern Miss, Alabama, LSU, Vanderbilt, and Florida, Tennessee. It's just, I I remember the last time LSU was at Vanderbilt. Obviously, they, they, they very much need like a, you know... <laughs> I just I, I thought for sure this game would be like a six or an eight o'clock kick. Oh and shit! Be and, fun and, like, and Cal Ole Miss. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So the actual tasting menu part, we'll do it real fast. Um, I will be in a press box and a blaze. It. By the way, it's been like ninety six degrees, really, really hot here in Nashville. Like we're have, we're in the middle of a, a really bizarre September heat wave, and this game is it's just gonna have that horrible JP feeling. Um, as will like Cal Ole Miss and, the, and a lot of these SEC games that got pushed around. So, oh, oh, by the way, Tennessee and Florida too. All right, let's do this. Ready? <laughs> Boy, uh, I will say this: we constantly gnash our teeth about the about the morning slot, and this is a really good morning slot. So you're gonna have a dis- uh, you're gonna have a good, um, well distributed amount of college football throughout the day, and so that's that's the upside of Notre Dame and CBS dumbassery. Uh, Boston College goes to Rutgers at 11 a.m. on uh, Big Ten Network. Cal, the aforementioned Cal Ole Miss game, is on ESPNU. Elon goes to Wake Forest on the ACC Regional Sports Networks. FS1 has Louisiana Monroe at Iowa State. 
The uh, LSU game, Vanderbilt game that I'll be at is on SEC Network. Uh, Michigan goes to Wisconsin on Fox. ABC has Michigan State, Northwestern. Southern Miss goes to Alabama on ESPN2. Morgan State is going to Army on CBS Sports Network. Tennessee is at Florida on ESPN. I mean, this is a stacked up morning, Richard. UConn goes to Indiana. Okay, maybe not that one. Big Ten Network. (laughs) Western Michigan goes to Syracuse on ACC Network. Um, Let's see. Carrying through. uh, I will include the 12s in here. Um, so we'll have Coastal Carolina going to UMass on Nesson. And let's see here. Skipping, skipping, skipping. Every week we say we're not going to highlight these FCS games. Um, <laughs> there they are. Wow. Shout out to a, a couple of my relatives. Mercer plays Furman this week. Um, okay. That'll take us through. Um, and then we'll cut off. the. We'll go back to the 2 o'clock slot in a second. So... Damn, uh, this is as stacked a uh, 11 a.m. slot as we've seen uh, uh, this year or last year. Um, I like. Uh, I mean, I'll start. Like, uh, I'll start. Cal and Ole Miss is kind of an interesting scheme matchup with what Rich Rod, Rich Rod is going to do against Justin Wilcox. Yeah. The defense. Uh, look, Cal's has a mean secondary. Those dudes fly around. Those dudes tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, Elijah Hicks, the cornerback. He's kind of a guy to look at. He's a, a, a little guy, but, man, he brings the boomstick when he comes to tackle your ass. Um, beyond that, I mean, look, I, I'll go right to to the meat and the potatoes. M- Michigan, Wisconsin. Like, like we'll but, get— So you, you've been talking yourself into Michigan this week? Oh, I've talked, like, past tense. I think Michigan—I I honestly think Michigan will win this game. Um Show your work. I, I, okay. First and foremost, and we'll get this out of the way. Josh Gaddis is going to be the minority coordinator of the week. But I, I'll say this: I don't think Michigan's as far off as as it appears. Frankly, um, a lot of their problems against Army were turnovers, and a lot of those came with blitz pickup. Like Shea, Shea Patterson's getting blindsided because Army's bringing a slot blitz with a cornerback, or, or excuse me, a short side blitz with a cornerback, and the running back's not picking it up. Like Gaddis talked about in his media media availability, he says we're struggling with blitz pickup. Like that's it. Um, you know, Wisconsin. I watched Wisconsin play USF. They they did a corner blitz a time or two, um, but that's kind of a, a, a subtle kind of matchup thing to look at. Look at how Michigan can handle that slot blitz. Um, or the corner blitz, what have you. Um, I, I think it's fixable stuff, honestly. It's it's blitz pickup stuff. That that's really how Army frustrated him. And turn and fumbles and stuff. Like with a bye week, I think that is fixable stuff. Uh, you know, I will say this: Michigan's running a bunch of plays. They're running a bunch of plays. The 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 offense has the tempo that that type of offense can have. Um, Shea's fine. I think personally, he's got it. He's dealing with a little oblique injury, but you know, they've had a week off. Um, you know, I like Josh Gaddis. I like kind of the way his mind works. He's kind of an analytical guy. Um, into the stats, will quote stats verbatim. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think Michigan, like Michigan, smacked Wisconsin last year. Like I, I don't know. I, I don't see. Um, I don't. Th- first, the other thing is I don't think Wisconsin's played a team that's this that's going to be as fast as Michigan's defense is going to be. Um, Jonathan Taylor will probably get his, but I like this is the game Michigan wants to play. Michigan wants to play this this knockdown drag out between the tackles type thing. Um, so yeah, I have I have fully talked myself into Michigan winning this game. Michigan Wisconsin is also definitely the, your your anchor game. This is your main event, um, and and that's saying a lot because a lot of these games have very identifiable, interesting. 
uh, narrative points. So I would I would sit with Michigan Wisconsin if only to find out how how improved Wisconsin is and whether or not Michigan is going to figure it out. That's the simplest way to sell that game. Um, I I would definitely flip around, check out Cal Ole Miss again. Uh, you know, matchups make styles. But styles also make matchups. So um, um, I'm, I would. Uh, I'm, I'm literally I'm hesitant to. I'm he- hesitant to let you off the leash on Tennessee, Florida. No, I I won't go. I won't go hard. I will say I we're not talking about Michigan State, Northwestern. I refuse. Um, Yuck. I think te- like I think Tennessee, Florida is going to be kind of simple. Like I. I think it's going to be a lot like last year where Florida wins a game and we learn nothing about like either team. Um, Very fair. Like, and everybody moves on. Um, This is very helpful for me because I'll be in the press box watching LSU go up 28 love uh, in the first. So that will not be a game I recommend watching. Um, All right, let's move to the afternoon. Scooting on along. Um, Two o'clock. Troy goes to Akron on the ESPN Plus. At 2.30, Appalachian State. See, I didn't say Appalachia. Appalachian State goes to North (laughs) Carolina. Uh, Bud's going to talk a little bit more about that one later on the ACC Regional Network. Auburn goes to Texas A&M on CBS. Louisville is at Florida State on ESPN. Miami of Ohio goes to Ohio State on Big Ten Network. FS1 has the Iron Skillet. SMU and TCU. Hell fantastic. yeah. What a fantastic trophy. NFL Network, they do the CUSA. Uh, UAB hosts South Alabama. That's a rivalry game. I'm not kidding. Uh, they actually, I think they really should work out a rivalry trophy, a three-way between UAB, Troy, and South Alabama. But I digress. Temple at Buffalo on ESPNU. And then uh, they have a mirror schedule thing with ABC and ESPN2, so just check your local listings. UCF at Pittsburgh and Washington at BYU. Man, BYU is scheduled a hell of a home slate this year. I tell you what, Wyoming goes that to Tulsa. On, <laughs> Wyoming goes to Tulsa on ESPN. Nope, I'm sorry, on CBS Sports Network. ESPN three has Bowling Green going to Kent State, um, North Dakota State. I'm just going to throw this one in there. Uh, they play UC Davis. Those are two powers in the FCS, and that is on ESPN Plus. Central Michigan goes to Miami, uh, ACC Network. By the way, uh, that starts the three o'clock slate, not the two thirty slate. So the three o'clock slate. Uh, Kentucky goes to Mississippi State on the SEC Network. South Carolina goes to Missouri on the SEC Network alternate uh, stadium. Uh, stadium is Harvard and San Diego. I just <laughs> get myself into reading some of these out loud. Um, New Mexico State goes to New Mexico. Um, that is the uh, ATTRM Network, and I've I've had a, I've had a reader out in the Southwest explain that to me before, but I don't remember. So you know, so it goes. ESPN Plus has West Virginia at Kansas. So that's part of that new Big 12 agreement. It is on ESPN Plus. So you will need ESPN Plus. Everyone's making a big deal about that. I don't necessarily see it as a big deal. Wasn't it like West Virginia was like, yeah, we were surprised. We didn't even know it would be on ESPN Plus. Well, they, I mean, they announced that, they kind of hastily announced the whole deal where there's like a faux faux Big 12 network inside of the ESPN Plus apparatus. The bottom line is, I've done this real fast, but TLDR, um, third-party rights are what constitutes a conference network. So everyone hands over their third-party rights, and then usually most conferences get one home game a year, and that's that's their 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 tier uh, tier threes. So what the Big Twelve does is different than what everyone else does. In the SEC, you hand all that stuff over to the SEC network, and they're the exclusive home for all of that. You name it. In the Big Twelve, everybody gets to do their own thing because of LHN. All of the schools, with the exception of like Texas and OU. This is why OU has that pay-per-view game every year. 
um, they bundled it with ESPN Plus. That's the shortest, quickest version to explain that. Show us your fate. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of imposters on this schedule. I'm gonna be honest with you because I think like UCF is gonna murder Pitt. I um, t- look. I wanted to ask you is is for Narduzzi is this a you should really win this game type thing? Bud and I have a working theory on why Pat Narduzzi did what he did. I don't think this is a you have to win this game. I don't. I think it's really damn close because they're going to get their ass waxed here. Yeah, I, I just don't say, think, I think Pitt US, has any way of winning this game. Yeah, I think UCF is going to blow. I, I think UCF is going to blow them out. Like because UCF, like I, I saw what they did to Stanford last week, and I was like, I mean, look, Narduzzi could scheme up a secondary, but I, I they I don't think they have the horses. I do yeah. not think they have the horses. Um, there's a lot of weird sideshow games here. Obviously, West Virginia, Kansas will determine the worst team in the Big Twelve. There is a maybe. See, I don't know if it's gonna. I don't two, know if it's gonna. There's two games here. The SEC games in the mid slot that aren't that interesting on their face that really determine the path of your season, and that's the Kentucky, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Missouri. So, like in in the case of Kentucky, Mississippi State, Kentucky should have beat Florida. Had a college kicker situation. Mississippi State. Tons of turnovers and crap play. Bench Tommy Stevens against K-State, right? South Carolina, fresh from just getting their their ears boxed in by Alabama. A Missouri team that's lost to Wyoming. If you're going to have what any of those programs constitute as a good season, you have to win this game this week. You have to. Or you're going to have something other than a good season. Like, I can tell you right now, the, the, the Mississippi State side guys, like, they... To have back-to-back losses to K-State and Kentucky is not what they is. It does not fit their level of even rational expectation for 2019. Kentucky coming off of their year to lose their first two conference games, same thing. Missouri, same thing. South Carolina feels like this is a game they should win. I, look, uh, Auburn. I'm looking at Auburn A&M. All I know is I am tracking why Auburn can't run the ball well or as well as i think that they hope to or should with gus on the sticks uh i don't know i i don't know I, i'm just i'm eyeing that i'm eyeing that what about how far are we going to take this byu thing well you mean the mormon manzel you mean when the mormon manzel hosts the it's liberals not, from so seattle not, <laughs> it's not comparable personnel the at west all. coast liberals from seattle uh it's he baptizes those <laughs> demon socialists from Seattle. Um, Jeff Bezos ain't got shit on BYU. I'm doing like a high, I'm doing like a high country Baptist accent, which is not representative of LDS at all. Um, sorry again. Yeah, I uh, like look. I'll be honest with you. Well, look, BYU BYU, BYU is not Cal, but, but BYU is pesky enough to beat a team like Washington. But listen, BYU beats Washington, and then what for the Pac-12? Like really oh, and truly, BYU beats Washington. What what exactly is the Pac-12 going to do? Oregon has to Oregon. run the table. Okay, Oregon. Yes. They have to run the table, and Auburn has to beat Alabama. Yes, Auburn has to look very good down the stretch because reminder. No, Auburn has to beat Alabama. Not look very good <laughs> because reminder, Auburn's sitting with uh, obviously AM this week. Auburn still got LSU and Florida and Georgia on the schedule left, and then Alabama. So. Uh, Yeah, look, okay, Auburn A&M is the pick, but not by much. This is, I I really do think you gorge here, and you may be, man, I don't do this anymore, I don't know about you, Richard, I don't watch, I don't have multiple screens. I do. do. You still, you do multiple screens? Yeah, I do the two screens. 
I would maybe encourage it this time to keep it on Auburn A&M because I think that's going to be tight and defensive. Um, but then also just the narrative around those two SEC games that I mentioned, that Washington-BYU game, I think UCF, you can probably just score track that game. And then West Virginia-Kansas for the LOL. And But we haven't even talked. We, re- we really haven't even touched on Louisville and Florida State. Um, I think Louisville could win that game, I was, yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that's talked to Bud about that one. Yeah, but Bud's going to touch on it a little bit. But uh, it's definitely, I, I'll put it this way, it's definitely worth monitoring. Um, and then you throw in maybe... Let's see. You know, I, I personally am interested to see how North Carolina does. Um, and, and maybe are they are they coming back down to earth uh, against an app team that is probably more talented at the moment? So there's a lot to to monitor. Ooh. So maybe you do you main Auburn A&M as long as it's close and then you rotate on your second screen. So it's a really good afternoon. It's really well plotted. Um, it's it's not too evening heavy this week, which I which I, I applaud. I like that a lot. Um, let's move into the evening, move into supper. Old supper time. Uh, Florida Atlantic hosts Wagner on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Ball State goes to NC State on ESPNU. That's at 6 p.m. Baylor goes to Rice, 6 p.m. CBS Sports Network. ESPN2 has Old Dominion at Virginia. Oregon goes to Stanford. Wow, that game just snuck up on us, man. Sure did. Yeah. Also has lost a considerable amount of luster. 6 p.m. ESPN. Um Let's see. Texas State and Georgia State are on ESPN Plus. Um, lots of FCS games. I'm going to skip past. Southern Illinois visits Arkansas State. Charlotte goes to Clemson. We're now at 6:30 on the ACC network, uh, and we will now we'll carry through. We'll carry through and do the sixes and sevens. How about that? Oklahoma State at 6:30 on ABC. San Jose State goes to Ar- Yuck. San Jose State goes to Arkansas at 6:30 on, e- on the SEC network. I don't read like some of these games. I read for the very first time when we record the show, like if it's not marquee. So it's like, I, like I'll put it this way: I didn't wake up on Sunday morning and check the, the following week and be like, mm, "San Jose State, Arkansas." I'm gonna mark that. It's the first time I've seen that piece of shit. Um, <laughs> oh man, I gotta recover here. Uh, over on Facebook because that happens. Over UTSA, on Facebook, uh, UTSA is at North Texas. The death march of the of the Roadrunners continues. I just love that LSUfootball.net puts stadium with like a question mark. <laughs> maybe, maybe stadium. Nebraska at Illinois at 7 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. Notre Dame goes to Georgia. I've got to figure be, out who I like less. That is going to be a snuff film. Yeah, that's not going to be fun. 7 p.m. on CBS, which is the reason we have such. It's actually strange. We complain because of the you know 12 p.m. burning hot press box for yours truly, but also. I do believe that Notre Dame is the reason we have such a balanced and consumable schedule. So thank you, Catholics. Uh, Nevada goes to UTEP. Uh, Nevada, Nevada. I'm going to say every which way I can can think of so I stop getting those Twitter mentions. ESPN3 at 7 p.m. All right, we'll stop there. Um, um, okay. Yeah, everybody's going to watch the one game. And everybody's going to stop watching the one game, Richard, at what? 12 minutes left in the second? <laughs> no, I think you may have to keep it till halftime. You okay. may have to keep it till halftime. Because I don't know... I don't know if Georgia just hasn't shown anything in the past game or if Georgia just doesn't care to pass. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a difference. We're going to find out. Um, I Like, I just... I, like, I just think they're going to rub Notre Dame off the field. Like, it's just... It's going to be really bad. 
that's just um, it. Oregon and Stanford. I want to see Oregon. I want to see if Oregon's gonna put it together because because you could put it together on Stanford because like you can like the Stanford defense that Stanford team right now this point of the season is not good. The two things I'm more interested in than Notre Dame Georgia. One, this Oregon Stanford situation because this was this was the blown game for Oregon last year, right? Yes, this was the game they had, and let's slip. (laughs) Um, The other one is, it's got to be Oklahoma State and Texas. Yeah, I I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. To me, that's the game. I want to bring that up because I want to talk about, so like, obviously T. Boone Pickens passed away a week ago today. Uh, passed yeah. passed away on the eleventh. I I don't think Oklahoma State played last week. They might have. Anyway, no, they um, played Tulsa. Okay, oh, okay. Uh, but we didn't talk about this. I I wanted to ask you this. We're getting into something that I think we're getting into post mega booster in college football. I'm not saying okay. there were never big money boosters in college football. I'm saying there were never T Boone Pickens. And Phil Knights until there were T Boone Pickens and Phil Knights. There okay. was never the insane injection of wealth p- publicly, publicly that T Boone Pickens and Phil Knight at all have brought to the table. And look, they're not going to be alive forever. T Boone Pickens obviously ninety one years old. Phil Knight's not going to be around forever. I want to know what what happens at these schools. Do we think in the void left after the super mega booster public mega booster passes away? Like what's next? What's what's post mega booster? You're giving me like an entire show topic for an off season episode in the middle of a tasting menu. Um, I don't know if they're dead yet. I think they're gonna. Oh, sorry. I mean, I don't mean like I mean, <laughs> yeah. T-Boone passed away, but I don't. I don't think the concept is dead yet. I, I think don't think it's dead, but I'm saying what's next? What what's after? <clears throat> Consortiums and corporate influence in a completely ridiculous level. I think that the next thing is the is the brand literal company brands being associated with individual schools. I think that's that's what's next. It'd be Gee, nice Richard, if they, if, maybe I'm writing about Tim Cook, Auburn, and Apple. Perhaps maybe. you've just given me a perfect segue. Maybe uh, it's possible. Uh, okay, I think Oklahoma State, Texas is one more watchable, two more entertaining, and three possibly even more relevant uh, I mean, than Notre I, Dame, Georgia. I let's let's hope Texas's defense is ready. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Because here's Don Wallace is going to shred. The reason why I'm saying it's more relevant is I think I I think we're more uncertain about a lot of things, and then Texas still having a shot at the Big Twelve. You know, one of the things that Bud found we were doing the uh, hashtag SPAPN episode that went up yesterday. One of the things Bud and I talked about was like I don't really know who Oklahoma is because of the quality of their opponents until they go to Red River. See, I like I I, Kansas, essentially. I kind of disagree. Like, okay, maybe on defense, we don't know what they are because Alex Grinch, new system. I mean, on offense, we know what they are. We know what they're going to do. We know what they can do. I'm actually pretty impressed that Oklahoma was able to pretty much plug and play with the offensive line pretty impressively. But UCLA, I digress. UCLA, no FBS wins. Houston, no FBS. Uh, Here we go. I'm just saying it was blame bud. Um. Yeah, it's more relevant to me because I just I I don't think Notre Dame has a shot. So I I, I, I just don't. I'm not. It's not. This is not a meme. This is not a joke on Notre Dame. It's not a full gas bit. Like let's just be honest. This is a game where Georgia is more talented at every single position. 
I think this is a game where you, this is a game, much like the Clemson game, where you realize how far the gulf is between mm-hmm. being really good and being elite. So when we put together the hurry-ups, like we've been experimenting with the format on, on the Sunday morning show, we have now started sort of creating that dividing line of like, okay, um, the, the, the good teams that are playoff locks, like that group of, of, is it five, is it seven, is it nine? This week is where you start to really understand that line because Notre Dame's going to get kicked out. And when I, when I do a roundup <laughs> of saying like, these good teams rolled this week, it's going to be Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and then Notre Dame is going to be in tier two where like Auburn is right now. Okay, that's it. That's the truth. And then LSU, I think, is still tier one. We will start to sort of understand like, hey, this is the total fate accompli moment. These are the these are the schools that are so ridiculously damn good. They're almost professional. They're going to be involved in the playoff. This is what they did real fast. And now let's get into the games that we found interesting for narrative reasons. This is the week we draw the line and we, we understand the line for sure, because Notre Dame is going to get kicked out. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be mean. I really not. I know I sound like an asshole, but I'm not. Um, um, skipped over. We talked about functional Nebraska on Sunday, mm-hmm. but what functional Nebraska hasn't done is adjusted for those Illinois fighting Illini, baby. You gonna pick Saturday it? evening? Pick it. I'm not, I'm not picking that. Pick it. I'm not um, picking that. I might pick a cover for our Illini friends, our Illini brethren. Um, but look, Illinois had some de- some injuries on the defensive side against Eastern Michigan. I know they lost the game, but had some injuries. Yeah, hey, make some excuses. This is all shaping up for an Illinois win by three. There's two things. One, Illinois losing to Eastern Michigan because people are laughing about that. Eastern Michigan, good football team. Nasty, tough football teams. Number two is that I mentioned this on the hurry up. Everybody was freaking out like, man, Frost changes tempo. Like he's going, this is Oregon style. Man, this is it. Like Nebraska's going like 75 points a game. Here it comes. Like, okay. You did that at home against Northern Illinois before the half. If you don't understand that in context and that they were just trying something out. And I get that there's some urgency now in the play calling. He did not revolutionize or change who he is or what he's doing. There's still the same struggles and there's still the same personnel issues. All of this is shaping up for Nebraska to go into champagne and eat the curb. <laughs> so Love you going to put I'm the not, beard on him, boy. I'm not saying you got to watch it, but just flip over in the last four minutes. Love you going to put the beard on him, boy. Um, uh, my pick here is Oklahoma State, Texas, and I'm not being a contrarian. I just find that game more interesting than Notre Dame, Georgia. Just, I know I just, what you guys, I know I what you just, guys are gonna watch though. Oh uh, well, yeah, I'm gonna watch Notre Dame, Georgia. Um, I will say this: watch for Charlotte. Watch for Charlotte against Clemson. Um, you would talk about a vested interest, Richard. Clemson's Clemson's a 42 point favorite in that yeah, game. Richard. I'm saying Charlotte may be able to score some points. I'm talking about for vested interest scenarios. Watch the fourth quarter when Clemson has all of its backups in because Clemson plays the whole damn roster, and yeah. I'm not kidding. Third, Clemson yeah. when the Hey, so when the Venable kids are on defense, that's, that's that, when Charlotte's going to eat. That's when you watch because Charlotte can score some points, yeah. and it, you know if you want to take a vested interest there on a 42-point spread like I did, go ahead and take a swing. Uh, let's move into the evening, um, 9 o'clock. I didn't throw Nevada. <laughs> I did throw Nevada in. Okay, yeah. So uh, Colorado goes to Arizona State on the Pac-12 network at 9 p.m. Uh, Fresno State hosts Sacramento State. Toledo goes to Colorado State. We're now at 9.15 on ESPN2. 9.30, UCLA goes to Wazoo on that ESPN. That could get ugly. Dead body. Utah State goes to San Diego State at 9.30. Utah State is favored in that game. Um, and then Hawaii. 
at 11 o'clock on your Facebooks and your Spectrum pay-per-view if you're a Hawaii cable user. Uh, Central Arkansas goes to Hawaii. Um, I'm telling you, look, I got I, look. A lot of people like chips dealing with the tempo stuff. Why aren't you running tempo? Um, I got something coming this week on chip and tempo and and how that's gonna work, um, or how that's not gonna work, frankly. Um, look, if Washington State sprints out with some points early, and this thing starts to get out of hand, this thing could get this thing could go real south on Saturday night, yeah, real bad. quick. Very bad. Um, I am interested to see the Utah State San Diego State game because it's going to sort of again pecking order at the at the that may be the two three matchup in the in the um in the conference of the Mountain West a- absent of Fresno State. We'll figure that out. I mean, we won't know anything new about Fresno State this week playing Sac State, but that uh, Toledo could beat Colorado State. There's not a ton here to pick off of. What on um, earth? What on earth is Colorado State? I, look, obviously, last week, huge win. But, like, then what? Like, what now? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, they're probably going to be hiring a new coach this year. Um, Colorado, Arizona State. Um, okay, so Arizona State uh, survives the Michigan State muddying, which is sort of how Michigan State plays that game, unless you're, I mean, Michigan State will reduce you to the to your worst self, especially when you're playing there. But Arizona State is just that much more batshit crazy and was able to survive. Colorado comes off the Air Force loss. If anything, I think that Colorado had a really fun little burst of momentum against uh, against Nebraska. Colorado's still in a first-year head coaching situation. The personnel's not great, so... This should be another win for Arizona State, who is consistent. <laughs> consistent. That's the word we'll go with. Like, consistent. Not good. Like, I'm not, again, I, I feel like I have to say this every friggin' podcast. Like, I'm not saying Arizona State's good. I'm just saying that, like, they, they, they are what they are. Sort of, they bend logic and time and reason, and, and they're just a, they're a very loud black hole in, in the college football fabric. And we're like, Better teams can lose to them. They can look terrible in wins. And also, they're probably going to be 4-0. Sure. These are all true statements. Um, So the evening slate there is Buffet. Just uh, jump around because you're not going to find anything fantastic overall. Um, I would tune in just to watch Wazoo uh, do a murder for the first quarter. Uh, I don't know why why William and Mary at East Carolina at 5 p.m. Central time is at the bottom of our list, but it's there. I don't know. Um, if you it's listen a to mega matchup. If you listen to the Ask PAP and we did talk about William and Mary, um look out. Look out for it cuz I don't know about that ECU team. Um oh, I no. personally I'm going to take this chance one more time to thank Notre Dame um for influencing networks to do big dumb things because by pushing a lot of those games out of prime time we have a nice balanced consumable slate in week four um there are top level narrative defining games this week there are a ton of mid-level defining narrative games this week and there's minimal like blowout trash on this schedule so be happy for that i think it's awesome this is probably it you know notre dame georgia is sucking all the life out of everything but like i don't think that it's the most megawatt game like with you know how the neutral sites those neutral site week one bowls like kind of create a bigger hype, but this may be the best consumable week so far. I think it's the most. I think it's the most you can't go 
run errands during a window. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. There's no off time at all. There's like, no nap. There's no, yeah, no there is a, like, I got to figure out what time I'm I'm going to be switching locations um, to watch the rest of the day. Like, it's, it's, there is no off switch. What is your, what is your commute from apartment to apartment? Um, it's about 30. I usually try to leave when the first wave of, ha- of noon half times goes. Yeah. And I usually make it. Um, midway through the third quarters of whatever. So our, you but I may watch, you you watch games over at our our podcast, Kiss and Cousin, Solid Verbal, uh, Dan Rubenstein's place, right? Yes, I do. But okay. this week will be different because I'm probably going to watch Florida Tennessee through the entirety, unless it gets unless Florida's like slapping them. In which yeah, case, you're I'll just probably have to go it. really really early in the second shift. Yeah, that's what I may just leave early in the three thirty Eastern game. Uh, I'm going to be a dick and say, if you have anything to do in your life, skip game day. Um, I don't, I'm not trying to be mean to game day. Uh, I'm really not guys. It's just that, uh, this thing's packed out and game day is just going to talk about Notre Dame too much. So I would highly recommend you get your shit done before then. Yeah. That's about it. Done. But Elliot in the middle of show prep, you said, you didn't say biggest game of the week because it's definitely not, but you did say big Pac-12 game on brand for you, diehard Pac-12 fan. Yeah, it is a big, it, it, I mean, it is a very big Pac-12 game. Let's be honest. Probably the most, uh, one of the most talented games that you could create in the Pac-12 this year in that uh, Utah is going to USC. Well, I mean, this is Utah's last big test for, gosh, like, over a month, and unless you really count home against Washington State, at Oregon State, home Arizona State, home Cal, they're going to be at least a touchdown favorite in all those games and probably two or three touchdown favorites in, in some of those. This one, USC's got the athleticism to run with, with Utah. I'm interested to see what happens here. Now, I, I do think Utah wins the game uh, simply because the, the best way to defend the air raid is to get pressure with your front four, so you can you can leave seven back. Now that's pretty much the best way to, to defend anything, right? Is not having the blitz, still getting pressure. Um, sure, but Utah really has has the people to do that. I'm interested to see how USC stops the run, um, and I'm also interested to see how how well Utah throws the ball, right? Because they they did not really throw the ball that well in their game against BYU and in their subsequent games NIU and, and Idaho State. They, not not so great either, right? They've scored 30, 35, and 31. Uh, if Utah's offense kind of slogs around a little bit, USC could get them, uh, but USC is going to have to block Utah's front four, which is difficult. What do we need? What do you need to see from Utah to consider them whatever it is we're trying to consider them? Because all offseason, we've talked about Utah in, in the context of the Pac 12 certainly being worth the same mention as a previously healthy USC or. Oregon or Washington, what have you. Um, now Washington has lost to Cal. Oregon's lost to Auburn, but is still very much a, a functional favorite. And then USC's a bit of a mess with the quarterback situation. What does Utah have to – is it possible that they walk out of this game and people say, that's your conference favorite, that's your Rose Bowl team, that's your playoff potential, let's say, contender? I think it's absolutely possible. You know, If, if they come out of there and, and Tyler Huntley is throwing for like eight yards an attempt, and they're still running yeah. the ball well with, with Zach Moss. I, I think it's the ability to score points, right, and, and not rely so heavily on your on your defense, um, which they did at times against BYU. Their, their offense was kind of playing, you know, not to lose. 
the NIU game, I, I think, is is potentially a bit of a hangover game for them. So I give them a bit of a pass, and, and they did win by by what eighteen? Yeah, eight, eighteen. Um, just just keep doing your thing and improve a little bit on offense, and then I believe this is a, a really good team. Um, that November second game at Washington is is going to be huge if they if if they um, beat USC here. I, I agree with you on all the functions of the of the actual game against USC. I'm struck a little bit by the context, and I'm getting ahead of myself, of the, the this this path as a program that Utah has taken. The extreme consistency that they've had with their head coach. <clears throat> they've made good assistant hires. They functionally, like, they, they know who they are, right? They're, this is a brand that's aware of its identity, fosters it, recruits to it, and develops it, right? This is a school that, you know... Let's say they were to make the playoff, bud. It's it's possible they run the table, things happen, you know, other other chess pieces and all that jazz, right? We don't have two SEC teams, maybe. Something, I don't know. Ohio State and Michigan split. Utah making the playoff, far removed from being a group of five team, uh, pretty much remarkable. Pretty much the the sort of Cinderella story that you would aspire towards if you are one of those aspiring, like the, those top of the pile G5 programs, which is what Utah was a long time ago. Before they joined the Pac-12, they were a top of the pile group of five team. It's funny too because you could kind of talk about TCU in the same breath, and they were so close to the playoff a couple years ago. But if Utah were to pull this off, is it a blueprint or is it just a unique case study? Because yes, everything I said is just true, bud. But also, this is a Utah team that beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. You know, I think it was ten years ago. So it's not like they suddenly came and appeared out of nowhere. They've always been overachievers relative to their former status. It's a blueprint. It's something to aspire to. However, is it replicable at other other places? I I, I don't know. Right? Would we be talking about Utah yeah. in this way if USC was peak USC? If they if USC was operating at anything close to peak efficiency? Probably not. Right? Because if they were, even a Utah team like like this, if you have normal like top five, top ten USC, um, you know, then, then Utah is more than a touchdown dog in this game as opposed to being a three or four point road favorite. Um, so it's, you got to time it up right. This might be the best Utah team in quite a while. And it so it just so happens that, you know, Oregon doesn't look like they're anything special. They're good, but not great. Washington yeah. might have taken a step back from last year's Washington team. USC is... Like just not that good, and the rest of the Pac-12 South is kind of a joke. So, you know, like the, like ha- so have your best team and make the timing here. right is is really key. But it's not something you can entirely control. So I sense that you're, you're what you're saying is that had had we applied this Utah path and progression with it with specific with specifically this program, we wouldn't necessarily have these results even in the Big Twelve. Right, exactly. But unless you can also control Oklahoma and Texas being down at the same time. So I guess we're finding the cap for Utah, which is it's a bitter pill to swallow, but it's the reality for a lot of programs in that if you see Utah in the Rose Bowl and they are Pac-12 champions, chances are that means that there's some there's systemic issues in their conference. And it's not so much that Utah has recruited and developed at such an astronomical pace. Fair to say have I mean, no, uh, let me back up. I don't want to put words in your mouth. They have recruited pretty well for who they are and what they do. No, they, they absolutely have. And I should clarify my, my comment about the rest of the Pac-12 South being a joke. I, I don't mean that it's like god awful, but I don't have any other Pac-12 South team asides from. No, it's um, okay, bud. They're, like, they're, they're, in, they're in pretty the butt. Four. Yeah. They're, th- there's a lot of butt in the South. I mean, it's uh, it's not good. 
I, I don't you don't really need to clarify the fact that like Arizona and UCLA suck and Colorado has a first year head coach and is highly volatile and just lost to Air Force even though they beat Nebraska like yeah there's mm, there's a bouquet of assy in the south that's totally fine um all right yeah, but by the way, Godspeed to Utah if that works, because then I get to I get to find a whole nother form of footing for the G five argument. Um, even though I don't know if it is replicable. Spoiler alert. But we did some. Um, oh wait, before we do, before we check on our projected week four lines, and by we I mean yours. Um, you have a note on here about SMU and TCU, and it actually got me thinking not about SMU or TCU, but about Sunny Dykes and how good SMU has looked. Really, honestly, bud, better than they ever did uh, with Chad Morris. That's not really a slight against Chad Morris because I think he was there to do some of the more like raw early stage infrastructure rebuild, and then he left. But I'm struck by the fact that Cal is undefeated. They're going to Ole Miss this weekend. And by the way, anyone who's talking about humidity, just stop with that nonsense. I think we've seen more than enough examples of the fact that like in 2019, weather by region is not going to greatly affect a football game unless it's snowing sideways 80 miles an hour. But Cal is going to go into Oxford and probably, I would say, easily win the game with that defense and and Ole Miss's offense. Okay, that's a 4-0 Cal team. They are something completely different than when Sonny Dykes was there. They are a defensive first, aggressively uh, aggressively good. How's that for analysis? Defense, it's, uh, th- that's the identity of their team. They've reformed it. Justin Wilcox has done a fantastic job. Justin Wilcox is a, quote, Cal guy. All of the issues that they had internally at Cal with Sonny Dykes were cultural and, and just a completely uh, different, I mean, really a clash of philosophies. All that's gone. Sonny Dykes goes to the American, top of the G5. SMU's not necessarily a Houston or Central Florida, but now he has what he really wanted, I think, as close to it as he could get. And he has proven himself to be highly successful at this position. So I don't know, bud, if you can if you can name me another sort of divorce in which the coach is fired and then moves on to another gig and then that the school that fires him makes a good a good hire and everybody benefits from it, but this SMU Cal situation is pretty damn close to it. I think you're right. I mean, look, Wilcox is doing a decent job there. I, are they actually are, are they improving a lot? I I don't think they're really much better than they were last year, right? Last year it was a very good defensive football team and their offense was real bad. And this year, uh, same thing, right? Their offense is one of the absolutely worst offenses in all of the Power Five. Okay, I mean, like, there's, it's, I'm hard pressed to think of worse offenses in, in, in the P5 than this Cal offense. I mean, they should have lost to North Texas, probably. Their completion completion percentage on the season, and they've already played an FCS team, not a bad one, obviously, but but they already played one, 52.9%. Okay, their their sack rate allowed is just off the charts. This is a terrible offense, and so that, that's going to limit them as far as how many games that they, they can win. I do think they're going to make a bowl, uh, but like that's that's not guaranteed if this yeah. offense continues to be this bad. I, I, I bet them against Ole Miss this weekend, by the way, simply because Ole Miss's offensive line looks to be really bad, and my power numbers don't say this is like some massive edge, but it, they say it's a slight edge, and when I factor in – specific matchup constraints here like how in the world is Ole Miss going to block Cal that that's a concern for me because I saw Memphis's defensive line pretty well beat up um, Ole Miss's de- offensive line and I don't really think old Memphis's D line is the same 
as Cal. Cal just has a, a ton of awesome dudes in, in their front seven. They, they swarm you. They, they do a really good job out there. Um, as far as the TCU-SMU matchup, look, TCU's passing offense right now is non-existent. And that's going to get them beat probably a decent number of times in the league this year. That doesn't improve quite a bit. Um, one thing I would point out to your to your argument here, Cal did start the year 3-0 and last year. They beat BYU. They beat North Carolina. They then lost four of their next six, and they basically struggled to score on pretty much anyone who wasn't like Oregon State. Okay? Uh, they did beat – by the way, remember, this is the second year in a row they've beaten Washington, so I guess we shouldn't have been as surprised as we were, or at least me. Um, yeah, so the reason that I brought that up, bud, was because um, – we are, oh man, as the crow flies, 40, 30 to 40 days away from this podcast kind of shifting its attention towards coaching changes, regime regime changes, rumor mongering, all that stuff, right? It's, it's right around the corner. And that Cal Sonny Dykes thing was one of the few times in which like I talked to people at Cal and then I called people in Sonny Dykes' camp and... I don't know if I can recall a situation where it was like, hey, you know what? I, I, I did hear both sides, considered both arguments, and I don't think this is necessarily that uh, Sonny Dykes was ignored and mistreated by Cal or that, that Sonny Dykes was some sort of flagrant, flag, a flagrant excuse me, uh, you know, maverick no, that went against everything that Cal wanted to do. I think it was just a bad fit. It happened in that whole land rush, like everyone's got new network money, ironically. <laughs> Uh, for the Pac-12 upon expansion. And it was just one of those that didn't really fit. And it's rare that I see like a divorce like this where like both sides made valid points and they were better for it in the end. Usually what we see, bud, and we'll get into this again in about a month, is like someone was clearly wrong or someone was clearly right. Um, it's rare that I see a situation come out where things were about, about the same. Now, however, I will ask you this. If Cal has another season like they did last year, and they don't really have a functional offense, and it costs them games where they could take that quote-unquote next step, whatever the hell that is defined by Cal's terms, is this not just a reverse of the Dykes era where he was scoring 51 points a game but giving up, you know, 55? It's basically the inverse of that. It is, and, and, and honestly, like, I'm interested to see if Cal can keep recruiting and replacing these elite-level defensive talents that they have. I think he's a tremendous defensive coach, but it's hard at a school to Cal to consistently feel a really good defense, right? Like we, we more often see kind of mid-level teams feel really good offenses and, and poor defenses. And, and I think the reason then the reverse. And I think the reason why we see that is because it's harder to scheme your way into an elite defense than it is to do so into an elite offense. We know for a fact that recruiting rankings track more closely with success on the defensive side of the ball than they do, than they do the offensive. So, uh, I think Wilcox is doing a good job there, but he's got to find a way to to get their offense to not be this bad. I mean, they're 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 what 117th in offensive SP plus. Mm-hmm. That's like you're just gonna have some games where your defense gives up mid 20s or 30s, and if you can't get there, no, it's like the Mississippi. Yeah, it's like the Mississippi State thing, a smaller version of that last year, where people in Starkville. I had a bunch of DMs, and I had a bunch of people in the Mississippi State media hit me up after the game last week where they said, are we crazy? Like, what is the, what is the perspective we're supposed to have about Moorhead right now? A lot of people really pissed off that they lost that K state game. But the, I think, I think the problem, bud, is that they saw an all world 
like, you know, program defining defense in 2018 and Joe Moorhead, an offensive guy came in in his first year and couldn't compliment that just enough to win more than I think they won eight games, nine, no, nine games. Um, and I get that, but that's just circumstantial. It's it's not something you can necessarily blame blame a guy like Moorhead for, but it's just when you have those, when one side of the ball is so monumentally talented and the other side is so deficient that it takes away from that, I, fans have a really hard time rectifying that. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, Cal's a different case because at this point, Wilcox needs to recruit his ass some offense, like flat out. We just, you, you got to do something, bud. Um. We did pretty well predicting these lines. And by pretty well, I mean you did pretty well making these things up out of thin air. How close were we? Uh, pretty close. So I had Wisconsin uh, by four over Michigan. The line came out uh, three and a half. Uh, so half point off there. Uh, I had Georgia minus 10 against Notre Dame. Georgia really looked awesome against Arkansas State. So we were off on that one. It came out like 12 and a half. Quickly got bet up to 14, 14 and a half. Um, I, I understand that. I'm not of, of the mindset that I want to take George at, at that number. Um, if it keeps climbing and climbing and climbing, I'll, I'll have to go ahead and get on Notre Dame. But at this point, that's kind of a no zone for me. Uh, Oklahoma State, Texas, uh, we thought it would be Texas minus four. Actually came out seven and a half and then uh, quickly got, got bet down to the four, four and a half range. Uh, Auburn and A&M came out uh, at minus three and a half, I think, or four. And, uh, and so we were off. We thought that would be A&M. Um, by one, and uh, Utah came out uh, at minus one at USC, and uh, quickly got bet up uh, to what three or four. So pretty, uh, pretty solid there. Only off by by a couple points, and of course we're doing this without the benefit of seeing the most recent game, right? So mm-hmm. like if USC had gone and beaten BYU as it was favored to do, I don't think that they would be uh, more than a field goal dog at home to uh, to USC or excuse me to to, uh, to Utah. Um, much like I made a completely uh, amazing bold prediction that Arizona State and Michigan State would look like shit. Um, here's my bold amazing prediction: uh, Auburn and A&M will be defined by just tallying the stat of quarterback dumbassery, and that's pretty much going to define the whole thing. I like A&M's defense; they're not as good as they were last year, but I like Mike Elko and I like what he's done. He really kind of came in and like they were on the. They were on the more experienced side of the roster in terms of turnover last year with that defense. So, like, a lot of those guys were the product of the previous someone staff, but they, like, Elko did a really good job with them last year. They're not as good this year, um, but you have a freshman quarterback at Auburn. And then at AM, you have a guy in Mon that I'm not maybe so sold on. And so, really, you could divine the whole game by. Hey, stupid! Don't do that. That's essentially how how this game is going to end. Whoever does the less the the lesser tally of of truly dumb quarterback mistakes, influenced by really good defenses, that'll pretty much be the game. So, A uh, and M lost uh, Jay Sean Corbin, who is a really good running back for the year in that Clemson game. I don't think A and M's offensive line is that good. Now, granted, I don't think Auburn's offensive line is that good either. But A and M's offensive line really did struggle with Clemson quite a bit and uh well this is at home and that was on the road i, I understand the differences there uh, auburn's d-line is better than clemson's and, and maybe by yes. maybe by a good they're the bit. best oh they're the, that's the best defensive line in football it, i i think so so i mean assume everybody's healthy and, and we saw a little Derek brown injury uh thing but I, I i would guess he's gonna play at this point um i'm interested to see how well a and blocks 
And can AM create explosive plays with, with, when Auburn's not having the blitz? That's that's going to be something to watch for right there. We took the four points, by the way, with Auburn on the Twitch show. Um, you said Wisconsin knows what it is and Michigan doesn't. Um, that's fair to say. Wisconsin is Wisconsin. Wisconsin is just a better Wisconsin this year than they were last year. That's inarguable. Um, I had a lot of fun jumping up and down and cheering on Army flat out. Uh, and I know weird things happen in games where you were against a service academy running the triple, but I don't think any of that really changes the context of a bad offense for your team, and they had a bad offense against Army. They did. Their their offensive line has not been very good. Um, they don't really seem like to be in sync on the passing game. If they're both operating at, at peak efficiency, I think Michigan would, would be a, a pretty clearly better team. But Yeah, definitely. But we knew that Michigan's defense would have some level of drop-off this year, and I think it has. Uh, but its offense has not held up the bargain with its new offensive coordinator, and they just they don't look very good so far. So I'm like, okay, well, look, Wisconsin, they haven't really played great teams, but they have looked completely dominant on defense. And on offense, they seem to know what they are. I think they improved at quarterback, getting rid of Alex Hornibrook, or you know, having him transfer out. He wasn't going to be the starter this year if he had stayed, in my opinion. And, uh, and I, I like Jack Cohn. I think Wisconsin is just a team that is – they may not be a better team than Michigan by the end of the year, but right now I think they're a better team. All right, it says you want to drop Texas Tech from our from our soup in the Big Twelve, the two through seven slog. So if you if you haven't listened before, essentially there's Oklahoma, and there's Kansas and West Virginia, and there's the middle. What about Texas Tech suddenly has inspired you to do this? Uh, their quarterback's out for at least a month, and they lost Arizona. So. Uh, I, I think we're now kind of a two through six in, in, in the Big 12. And uh, also, Iowa State, that offense isn't good. Not yet. It may, it may be by the end of the year. Certainly could be. But right now, that's not a uh, that, that's not an offense that that has them deserving of that like clear number three spot. Right? Remember the the whole media discussion in the preseason. It was Oklahoma one or or Texas, and then Iowa State was kind of the clear number three. I I'm not sure about that right now. Like they, there is a weird thing, bud, that happens every year, and I don't know why, other than we just we have to narrative build in a cycle that includes a nine to ten month offseason. But when you are a a good, exciting coach at a bad P five job, Matt Campbell, Jeff Brom, any sign of life is met with a disproportionate amount of acclaim. And I, I get it. It's because we rally to underdogs and new stories. And I mean, shit, bud. PAPN has been defined by, hey, we know the same five teams are going to be in the playoff, but here's why you should enjoy college football. So I'm an advocate for finding something new to talk about or finding something that's refreshing. But we also just anoint these guys to Christ levels when the bottom line is you haven't had a two, a three, a four-year cycle to actually fix a roster. You've had a solid recruiting class, a lot of energy that comes in during spring practice, maybe some new schemes that fit guys well. You come out, you bite somebody in the ass as a surprise, and all of a sudden, you fix you, we, we fixed the problem. No, you didn't. You're still Iowa State. You're still Purdue. This seems to be happening more and more, and it sucks because I don't want to take the wind out of the sails because it's fun to talk about these schools, but... We are we are pushing these guys so much further down the road than they actually are. So five of Iowa's nine drives 
or excuse me, five of Iowa State's nine drives ended without points in Iowa territory. A lot of points. That's just good current I mean, defense, baby. Well, yeah, but like also, you know, punt from the Iowa 37, punt from the Iowa 48, punt from the Iowa 42, right. turnover on downs under 39. So, I mean, obviously they're late in the game. They had to go for it. Uh, kicked a field goal from the Iowa 9. You know, just a lot of um, not, not getting it done once you got into Iowa territory. Did a decent job of getting into Iowa territory. Iowa kind of allowed some bend but don't break stuff, but then they really bowed up. Um, maybe along those lines, although not really, because he's definitely not a new coach. <clears throat> we have a lot of a lot of pothole games for the ACC, which is already pretty pocked, uh, pretty miserable. You have Western Michigan going to QSBC BC at Rutgers, UCF at Pitt, and App State at North Carolina. And just for a second, I want to sit on App State in North Carolina. Um, Bill's numbers favor App State. North Carolina had a. Well, confusing ending for sure. Um, I don't know if they were relatively that much worse or better than Wake. Um, we got really excited about North Carolina. It was fun to screw with Richard about it just because he picked him to, to lose to South Carolina and Miami. Is North Carolina going to start to regress? App State seems to be the perfect moment where they come back to earth because App State's roster is really good. And so far, Eli Drinkwitz has done a good job keeping it a turnkey operation from Satterfield, I think. Well, I, I think App State is not as good defensively as they were last year. Uh, but the offense can still really go. I, I think they're going to beat North Carolina in this game. Not like guaranteeing a victory here, but I, I think they're going to have a really good shot uh, to do so. And uh, I, but North Carolina is kind of banged up. They're missing one, one of their best corners. They have some offensive linemen who are injured and uh, they've had a couple of receivers that their receivers get banged up. I, I don't think UNC is necessarily all that good. Um, so I, I think App State can go and get, get this one done. Uh, UCF, I mean, we all are firm believers in the Stanford plateau at this point, but my God, uh, based on that, based on the uh, eh, exciting up-tempo decision-making from one Pat Narduzzi on offense, you would assume UCF is going to come in here and just absolutely murder Pitt. If you're a defensive coach out there hoping to get a job, how much do you hate Pat Narduzzi right now? Oh, my God. I'm so glad you brought this up. There are so many guys who won't come out and publicly say it because all of their colleagues are defensive coaches. But these guys talk about this all the time, how hard it is as a defensive coordinator to get a head coaching job. For a reason. In fact, if you want to sit here, vamp for a second and I'll pull the list up. Okay, so here's the reason, right? We know statistically that optimal decision-making in college football is like very offensive, like going forward a lot, a lot more often, okay? Not punting nearly as much as these teams do, not kicking so many field goals. So even though offensive coaches are not at optimal decision-making, typically, I would say on average, their decision-making is closer to optimal uh, maximization than it is for defensive coaches. Defensive coaches tend to make really bad decisions compared to their offensive counterparts, punting a ton, Trusting their defense way too much in, in, in a college football you know game where, where the, the point environment is oftentimes in the fifties mm -hmm. or sixty combined points. Like, man, I would I'd have real hesitations about hiring a defensive coach because the chance you okay, get Saban so, is so low. The chance you get a Muschamp or an Arduzzi is really high. So here is so several coaches have complained about this privately. It, again, they don't really want to sell out individuals because it's it's very easy to do this because the list is so small, but. There is a lack of 
appeal and marketability with defensive coaches and defensive coaches are starting to blame each other for the, for for generally acting like a curmudgeon asshole defensive coordinator which is sort of the personality form that they've been molded into for a de- you know decades of their career real fast so gary anderson goes back to utah state well the immediate exception there was that gary anderson was the former head coach and that two boosters at utah state jammed him in no one else wanted him so there's th- that one doesn't really apply scott loffler gets hired by bowling green offensive guy Tom Arth gets uh, hired by Akron, offensive guy. Walt Bell, UMass, offensive guy. Tyson Helton, OC, goes to Western Kentucky. Chip Lindsley, OC, goes to Troy. <clears throat> would we would we consider Chris Kleiman? It, I mean, he's an offensive guy, technically, right? I believe he was he was OC uh, before he was head coach at North Dakota State. Yeah, and so far, I don't think his decisions have been real bad. So, yeah, let's call him okay. offense. All right, Mike Houston, Eastern uh, Eastern Carolina. Thomas Hammock, running backs coach. Jim McElwain, OC. Mac Brown, uh, offensive guy. Again, kind of a weird situation. Yeah, I guess technically an offensive guy. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, same deal. Rod Carey, Will Healy. Uh, Will Healy has been an, obviously was a head coach at Austin P, but he was he was a quarterbacks coach. He's an ex quarterback. He's definitely an offensive guy. Yeah. Jeff Collins, there is a dyed in the wool defensive guy goes to Georgia Tech. So there's like one that you have. Okay, Scott Satterfield, offensive guy. Eli Drinkwich, offensive guy. Michael Oxley. Matt Wells, Mel Tucker, defensive guy. There's number two in this entire list that we would qualify. Dana Holgerson, Neil Brown, Manny Diaz. There's three. Jake Spavital, Hugh Freeze, Ryan Day, and then the last one is Les Miles. And again, that's sort of a he's an know. offensive guy who plays like his defensive guy. Whatever. Um, of that list, look at all of the play calling head coaches. Look at all of the quote unquote minds, offensive minds. To become a branded head coach, executive who we're going to bring back the energy to this program, all, all of the ipsum lorem bullshit that we hear in, in off seasons. You have Jeff Collins and Manny Diaz and kind of Mel Tucker, and Mel Tucker uh, to a lesser degree, only because he came out of the Kirby Saban style where you don't hear so, you don't really know who the hell these guys are, which I think is, is really working against them. In a lot of ways, it's definitely a topic for another show because I don't want to get I don't I don't want to get in a ditch from a ditch. But people didn't necessarily associate Mel Tucker with being a scrappy defensive hire um, because he didn't have a fully formed sort of media personality. I did think it was it, it, that one is sort of the sole exception because here's the deal: Jeff Collins had obvious ties to Georgia and was already a head coach. All right. That's really what we should look at here. Manny Diaz was the only defensive coordinator on here that got promoted to a head coaching job, except for the fact, bud, he was already the defensive coordinator at Miami and had the fluky thing where he was Temple's head coach for a hot minute. Otherwise, I don't think he would have been considered. So really out of this whole list of people last season, one guy, Mel Tucker, was a DC who then became a head coach at a P5 program. So all this to say, Pat Narduzzi, you're making everyone look like shit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, by the way, the, the trend... Go for it on fourth down, asshole. The trend is in the NFL, too. Six of the eight uh, head, head coaches who are new in the NFL this year are on the offensive side of the ball. Only Miami with Brian Flores, who, I mean, look, they could hire me or you to be the head coach, and the results would have been similar so far. Uh, and Vic Fangio in, in Denver. Those are the only two. No, I mean, hey, look, so how a do you Falcons fan, this? as soon as they... Right, like, uh, as soon as they hired Dan Quinn, I, I, I my my first question was like, man, what, what's he going to do with the offense? It was all about Kyle Shanahan when he got hired because that was his OC. So, 
Um, it's funny because we had a good laugh about that Pitt Penn State situation, but like also if you're Pat Narduzzi and you want like like the Michigan State job in two years, actually I, I'm gonna stop my train of thought there, bud. Michigan State would love that shit, wouldn't they? Have you seen this stat that Chris Felica, uh, the, the Bears on game day, uh, put out just now on Twitter? I don't know if you if you watched Twitter during the show during recording. Uh, no, I. All right, in Michigan State's last five games against Power Five opponents, oh. that would be oh god, Ohio State, Nebraska, Rutgers, Oregon, and Arizona State. The Spartans' offense has three touchdowns and nine turnovers in sixty-seven drives. They even holy shit, yeah, bud. Yeah, a one. He called that field goal. He called that field goal to audition for the Michigan State job. I know. Job. I know. One eighty-yard drive held to single digits in four of the five games. Zero touchdowns at all in three of the five. Fourteen points against Rutgers is the most in that span. Holy shit! That's why Pat Narduzzi did that. Yeah, that's. This is like that. This is like that scene in All the President's Men so, where we just look at each other. If you, we know. I, I do think this is an interesting conversation because if you're a defensive coordinator who ends up getting like a, a good G5 job, right? I think one thing that you really need to th- take a look at doing if you want to get one of those major P5 jobs is saying, look, we're going to play very aggressive. And because I'm so good at coaching defense, because I'm going to have a really good defense, I'm going to trust my defense to make stops and limit opponents even when we go for it on fourth down and it doesn't work, right? I'm not trying to set my defense up in the best possible situation. I'm trying to say, okay, defense, I know I'm a really good defensive coach. You're going to play well regardless of situation. I mean, relative to situation, obviously, and we're going to help our offense out because I don't want to be. I don't want to have that label of being one of these stodgy old defensive guys who kicks field goals from the four and and, and punts in opponent territory. Do you think? Do you think like Gary Patterson would get a job today if he was like not based on the work he's done at TCU because I think he's undervalued to a certain degree. But I'm talking about like rewind Gary Patterson 15 years and then put that younger Gary Patterson in 2019, like even when he's, 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 you know, uh, building out the four, two, five in a way that, that kind of answers a lot of the big 12 offensive things. Like he was obviously a great fit. He was someone that at TCU, they, they thought was had a better connection with the program and management of the players and the roster than even Fran did when he was there. But do you think a guy like that could be sold to a P five fan base in 2019? Sure. I mean, look, Jeremy Pruitt got a job, right? And he's not as innovative. I don't as, know, man. I, I like, so, yeah, but that was such that was such a twenty sixth decision situation. Like, I guess we should bring that up, and, and we'll 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 figure this out to close out the segment, bud. But like, I know that there is a bizarre, overinflated appeal to hiring Alabama's defensive coordinator. Okay, and that is sort of the probably the one thing as we've as we've talked out this idea. That's probably the one thing people are screaming at uh, in their cars is what about all the Alabama DCs and the SEC? I cannot explain to you why Will Muschamp just falls ass over tea kettle into other jobs. That one I just don't get. All right, because I've had Auburn boosters put him on a short list if they fired Gus this year. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So don't know. check this out. But, Here's the other thing that if you're if you're an AD making a hire. If, if you have a defensive candidate who has produced a really good defense and you have an offensive candidate who has produced a really good offense, because we know that defense like better tracks how the quality of player you have and offense, you can often like scheme your way into a good or great offense relative to your talent more easily than you can on defense, you might have more confidence in your offensive hire because you say, okay, look, I'm confident this guy can get us results on the offensive side of the ball 
And if we get him some recruiting help, it, you know, assuming we're some big time P5 job, he can get the players in here to have have a good good defense. On the flip side, if you have a guy who had really good defense, you might say, all right, was it him or was it the players? And how do we know he's ever going to be able to run a good offense, right? Like, is, is he not going to be one of these guys that puts his thumb on the offense as a defensive coach? This is – we are through the looking glass, bud. I see you, Pat Narduzzi. You're trying to get to East Lansing, and you might be the only human being on earth who's trying to get to East Lansing. Alas. Um, bud, whew, we didn't even talk about odds so much. Um Normally, I like to pick apart. Uh, we'll close out. We'll do this real fast. Uh, let me find, let me find some suspicious-looking lines. All right. Okay. Um, Tulsa being favored at home against Wyoming. A little confused about that. Okay. Um, South Carolina, Missouri feels a little weird. Missouri's a nine and a half point favorite. And if at any point in time you just want to say, no, that's the way it should be, that's fine. I think both of these are very um, fair. Uh, I was going to bet Tulsa. Tulsa's a better team than Wyoming is. Wyoming's really kind of a fraud to me. Uh, now, yeah. the one thing I'll say about this is when I do it, I, I use my power ratings, but I also take and look at individual issues. And Wyoming cannot throw the ball, but they actually do rush explosively pretty well. Meanwhile, Tulsa gave up like a ton of explosive runs to Oklahoma State. So... For that reason, I ended up not betting the game. I'm just going to pass on it. If I didn't know about that, my power ratings would have said to make Tulsa a play here because Wyoming is not any good. Meanwhile, Missouri yeah. is actually pretty damn good, I, I, I think. And South Carolina had a lot of kind of you know meaningless production against Bam at home. That's also potentially a crushing loss for them to you know to, to come off that. Now they have to go on the road and play a Missouri team that, that I think is probably – a little over a touchdown better than South Carolina is on a neutral site, and then you give two or two and a half or three points to Missouri at home. I, I think that line is is, is spot on. I, I didn't take either side in that. Uh, I'm just going to go straight for your beating Nolcast heart here as we close out. Is Florida State going to cover six and a half at home against Louisville? Ooh, it's that's not one I'm taking either. I I, I think like seven wow. seven is probably a good number. Yeah, like I look, I have no idea if this team's going to play hard for Willie Taggart on on a consistent basis. They they actually yeah. they played better than I think anybody expected them to play against UVA. But consistency consistency has not been a thing for them. Um, they're clearly yeah. better than they were last year, right? I, I actually pulled up last year's SP plus after week three and this year's and. If you put like this year's team against last year's team, they'd be like a nine and a half point favorite. Yeah. So they're getting better, but consistency wise, I'm I'm not buying in yet. And my numbers don't scream to bet it. We also don't know like how healthy Juwan Pass is, the quarterback of Louisville. And uh so that, that that's not one I'm gonna be dipping my, my toes in the water this weekend on. I'm gonna go ahead and call it Knowles cover. That's my wait. I mean, you make predictions all the time, so there yeah. you go. There's my one. Knowles cover. Get it now. I think it could go it could probably go over seven. Red hot advice. All right, bud. I'll see you next week.